um, we're on holidays from Tuesday. We can't wait. We're going. We're going to um, 1770. Some of you will remember Pete and Vinnie Richards, who are part of this church. They live up there now, so we're going to stay with them. And um, well, we may come back. I don't know. It's 50 50 at this stage. <laughs> um, you know, it's so important for all of us to take rest, and I think it's important that we lead by example. So we will be back <laughs> next week, um, and Kiralee and Lani will be in charge. Uh, every time that we go away, it seems that they're like our best services. Um, <laughs> we were away a couple of weeks ago, and, and um, Dave nearly sent a photo. It's like, it's a full house here. Everyone's come. It's revival. So it's good. It's humbling. It's always humbling to know. That the world goes on without you, doesn't it? Um, if you are away next week, um, we filled in these next step forms. Uh, hopefully you were given one this week. If you were away last week, just encourage you to fill one of those in and you can pop it in the letterbox at the back of the church at the end. And why don't we just for one second put that QR code back up. Um, I would love if by the end of today, 200 people from church are registered for the weekend. Um, so I will not be offended if you put your phone up right now and you just QR, if you, you can zoom at the back and you QR code and it takes you to the try booking. Um, it's going to be such a good weekend. You don't want to miss out. So please, please do that today. All right, what else? Gee, the Swans did well yesterday. <laughs> and the Wallabies. And the Wallabies. <laughs> that was popular. <laughs> oh, that's good. Humbling. It's all humbling. <laughs> well, I said last week, you can't get enough of a good thing. Uh, and we were talking about that passage in 2 Timothy 1, 6 to 7. So we're going to stay in there. We're looking at the fruit that the Holy Spirit gives uh, to believers as the Holy Spirit is poured out into our lives. And Lani preached on it two weeks ago. Uh, I preached on it last week. And we're going again this Sunday. Um, so we're ending up doing a little mini-series within this series on the Holy Spirit. A reminder, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to Timothy, to his young apprentice in Ephesus, who's now leading this church that Paul has planted. And um, he's a great young disciple. And Paul, who is writing from jail, is exhorting him to stand firm in the faith and not to let the flame of the Holy Spirit go out in his life. In order, as a result, so that the gospel may continue to go forth into the world as a light, bringing people out of darkness and into the kingdom of God. So if you've got your Bibles, open up with me to 2 Timothy 1. 6 to 7, and then we're going to read on to verse 10. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 to 10. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us 
And he has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Amen. Well, it's been quite a few weeks, hasn't it? Um, the, the, the Queen's passing and the Queen's funeral and then a Queen's extra holiday day off. Um, they say that four billion people potentially watched the Queen's funeral. And I was one of them. Uh, I, was, I was glued to the screen and then continued to watch as the, as the march went through the middle of London. Uh, we all got Thursday off, which I found continuously confusing as I thought it was Saturday. <laughs> and realised I had a bit more work to do. Um, it was nice to get a day off. I suspect a lot of Aussies spent at barbecuing. But I actually think the funeral was a remarkable event. And obviously our services here at Manly Life are what's called a bit more low church. <laughs> In the Anglican world you get high church, you get low church, and then you get what us Baptists do, which is lower church. <laughs> which means we're a little less formal, a little less smells and bells. But I love the service. Maybe what we need here at Manly Life is a children's choir in Fritty Road, no? No, okay, we'll stay with what we're doing. But one of the things that I love about the funeral is it doesn't matter how you worship anywhere around the world, it is the same God who is being glorified. And I love that moment when the lady from the Dominican Republic, who's the head of the Commonwealth, um, ministers, read the scriptures. Oh my gosh, that was powerful. Whenever the Bible is read, there is just power in the Word of God being spoken. And then I thought Archbishop Welby's teaching of the Word or his message was just so powerful. It never returns void, does it? It never returns void. And, and I, I, I did watch into the evening and on the broadcast after there was these strange acknowledgements of the Queen's Christian faith. But they weren't really sure what to do with it. <laughs> like, we live in such a secular world now, and we have this very Christian funeral. And it was kind of, they didn't know how to acknowledge it. But of course, the sermon finished with the hope of the resurrection. Go, Archbishop Welby. It reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But what amazing hope the resurrection brings. And so the saviour that the Queen followed, the saviour that we follow, holds the keys to life and immortality. And Archbishop Welby encapsulated the gospel so well. He talked about true leadership is found not in the exalting of ourselves, but in the laying down of our lives and becoming servants. Just an aside, if you wonder who, who this Archbishop Welby guy is, he's the head of the Anglican Church around the world. But he actually went to Holy Trinity Brompton, which started the Alpha Course, when he worked in the oil industry. 
And he was one of Nicky Gumbel's life group leaders. Isn't that amazing? So you lead a life group here at Bentley Life. <laughs> you too may go on to preach to billions of people. Anyhow, all of that made me think about this next bit of the passage we're looking at the last couple of weeks about being given a spirit of power, love and self-control. Because in its most contextual reading, it's a passage that relates to the using of our gifts to further the gospel. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Just one more thing about the Queen, then I promise no more Queen talk. <laughs> Last thing. She was, of course, famous for not being ashamed of her Christian faith. And particularly in her Christmas messages every year. Apparently there was a significant shift uh, in how freely she spoke of her faith from the year 2000 on. Isn't that interesting? Something must have happened around that time where she just threw caution to the wind. And she kind of used those messages just to start preaching the gospel. So many quotes to choose from. She famously said in 2011... This is, I think we get the slide of the Queen's, Queen's uh, quote. She said, although we're capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. That's a pretty good, unambiguous statement of the gospel. We need salvation from our sins, said Queen Elizabeth. And God has sent that saviour in order that we might have forgiveness. Good news. She went on to say, forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families. It can restore friendships. And it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. She was a good preacher, eh? <laughs> and it's just interesting to me that in just one address there, she was not ashamed about the testimony, about her testimony of the Lord Jesus. Right, she explained 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 very well. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. She explained the gospel of salvation and then she explained what the holy life looks like. Namely, the power of forgiveness and reconciliation as an expression of God's love. Not bad, eh? Not, not bad. So I thought today, looking at this passage, what are four things we can learn about the good news of the gospel from this passage if we, like the Queen, are to share our faith. Does that sound good? Yeah. Alright, firstly, the first thing we can learn is that we're going to suffer for the Gospel. <laughs> Verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, His prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God. Seems like a nice, easy place to start this morning. How's that for good news? Join up with Jesus and you too will suffer. <laughs> That's how you sell the gospel to the world, right? Become a Christian and suffer. Now, of course, Paul's writing this from jail, where he writes later on in 2 Timothy that he is chained like a common criminal. 
for the sake of the gospel. And that's literal. He's not being metaphorical there. Paul went to jail because of his preaching of the gospel. Now, in one sense, that should be no surprise to any who follow Jesus. Jesus says, Mark 8.35, whoever loses their life for me uh, and the gospel will save it. John 16.33, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Now, what's this all about? Surely we preach a gospel where Jesus came and said, I've come that you may have life and have life to the full. And we like that Jesus fits in with kind of our view of the world, that he's come to just prosper us and give us an incredible life. Um, You know, a lot of people think that life is about accumulating as much possessions as possible. The old bumper sticker, he who dies with the most stuff wins. But you know, the reality of the gospel is, of course, we know that there are many around the world who suffer deeply because of their faith in Jesus. Uh, Many countries in the Middle East and Northern Africa and throughout Asia. If you are a Christian, you will suffer for the gospel. And even in a society as broadly tolerant and as free as our own, there will be a price paid for belonging to Jesus. If the gospel causes you to endure no unease whatsoever, it may be the wrong gospel. Right? Right? Because after all, in a world of individualism and consumerism and the supremacy of self-determination above everything else, we are called to lay down our lives, to give to the poor, to choose the narrow path, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now that does not mean that you have to batter your neighbour or friends or colleagues with the gospel and go looking for suffering. But surely there should be an edge to your life that is deeply disturbing to those who don't know Jesus. Right? Maybe it's in politely but resolutely standing for a different sexual ethic to the world. Maybe it's refusing to act unethically in your business when you're getting a lot of pressure to do something that's unethical. Right? Maybe it's choosing to stand on the side of the refugee or the poor or the brokenhearted. Maybe it's in sharing your faith with people who actually despise the church and are antagonistic towards the idea of a loving God. If there is no edge in your life that causes any unease or any sense of suffering because of the gospel, then maybe we need to reevaluate how dangerous the message that is inside of you is. And then how are you living it out in a dark and self-obsessed world? I'll leave that thought with you. (laughs) Secondly, our salvation is about a moment and then a lifetime. Verse 9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. So just a reminder about the gospel. It is about our salvation and then it is about our transformation. It is about a moment when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and receive God's grace. And then it is about a lifetime where we become holy through living for our Lord and Saviour. He has saved us and he's called us to a holy life. Now we'll get to that message of salvation in just a second. But just quickly on this holy life. Sometimes this is theologically what is referred to as our sanctification. Sanctification. 
our ongoing transforming into becoming a child of God who reflects our Saviour. Now how on earth can you sum that up in a sermon? I'm not going to try. Um, It's not just about our personal piety either. It is about our personal piety, but it is also about so much more. You get saved in order to be set apart from this world, in order that the dangerous values of the kingdom may get in you and then turn the world around you upside down. Let me give you an example. I was listening recently to an interview with the historian Tom Holland, whose book Dominion has been a global bestseller. And his thesis is pretty simple. He was an agnostic, and he thought he was a product of Greek thought and secular Western civilization. And then he began to study the Roman Empire and indeed human history. And what he realized is that the culture that he lived in and the values that he held were not Greek or Platonic, but they are indeed deeply Christian. Whereas the Greeks, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Alexander the Great, put no value on human life, on women, on the poor, on charity, on humility, on forgiveness, on chastity, on faithfulness, all of these things that we find that we still value in our our Western world come from the teachings of Jesus Christ and the outworking of that through his followers down history. So live a holy life. Well, what on earth does that mean? Now, Holland talks about living now in a culture of cut flowers, right? He says we still have many of the values of Christianity in our culture, but it is a culture that is increasingly cut off from the source of those values. So beware the next 20, 50 years as that gap widens. Cut flowers, does that make sense? Still pretty, but now dying because they're no longer rooted in the source of its life. Right? Why are we outraged when a Sri Lankan refugee family are taken from Bailoela and put in a dehumanising detention centre? Why as a culture are are we outraged by that? Because the crucified Messiah who suffered and was unjustly punished is still at the heart of our faith and, like it or not, our culture. And so we still stand on the side of the poor and the broken and the mistreated. And none of that comes from Greek thought. None of that comes from Eastern philosophy. What am I saying? I have no idea. This is what happens when on Thursday you have a public holiday and you've got to write a sermon on a Friday. No, what I am saying is that the gospel says that once saved, we are called to live a holy life. And so we live a life infused with the life and message of power of the Saviour that sets us apart. Right? As it says in 1 Peter, we live as foreigners and exiles, living such good lives among the pagans that they may see our good deeds and glorify God. So we live a life that is holy, because it reflects the countercultural, radical, upside down message of the gospel. Amen? We are not ambivalent to the plight of the poor or the downtrodden. 
But contrary, we are saved in order that God might form a people who live so differently that it changes the world. And that may come at a considerable cost. Alright, thirdly, we're working backwards today. It, it, it always was and it always will be a gospel of grace. Verse 9, he has saved us, called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus. One of the massive corrections we always bring to people's understanding of God when we share our Christian faith is that the Gospel is not about being a good person in order to win God's favour and love, but our salvation is a gift from God in spite of our lives. Because of the great love that God demonstrated in His Son, Jesus Christ. Not because of anything we have done, but because of God's purposes and grace. That's the good news we share with the world. The appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, has ushered in an era of undeserved forgiveness and favour from God. As Bono sings in his song, Grace, Grace, it's the name of a girl, it's also a thought, that changed the world. As a young man who'd become a Christian and was trying to work this whole thing out, one of the books that had a huge impact on my life was Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. Has anyone else read that book? Yeah. Just read Philip Yancey. He's so good. So, so good. I deeply recommend it. He says this. He says, Grace means... There is nothing I can do to make God love me more. Nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I, who deserve the opposite, am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. That's the invitation of the Gospel. That's the testimony about our Lord Jesus that Paul reminds us not to be ashamed of. For grace is still the most powerful force in the world today. I remind you that we follow a saviour who the tax collectors, prostitutes and the afflicted fled towards and not away from. Isn't that good? Only grace can turn an enemy into a friend. Only grace can turn us into the children of God. All right, I'm going to cut out a bit there. Let's go to the fourth and final point. <laughs> it's a sunny day. We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of the jazz festival. <laughs> this is better. This is, this is good, isn't it? <laughs> Stay with me, church. I've actually got seven more points. <laughs> All right, finally and fourthly. The gospel is about the destruction of death. And the gift of immortality. From mid verse 9. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus. Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. One of the most touching moments in Archbishop Welby's sermon was at the very end when he said this. 
He said, Her late majesty's broadcast during COVID lockdown ended with, We will meet again. Words of hope from a song of Vera Lynn. Christian hope means certain expectation of something not yet seen. Christ rose from the dead and he offers life to all, abundant life now and life with God in eternity. As the Christmas carol says, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. His final words in the sermon, he said, we all will face the merciful judgment of God. And we can all share the Queen's hope, which in life and death inspired her servant leadership. Service in life, hope in death, all who follow the Queen's example and inspiration of trust and faith in God can with her say, we will meet again. Amen. With the revealing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, death, my friends, has been destroyed. This is our sure and certain hope for those who belong to Jesus. You know, I don't know what's going to come first. One of you may take my funeral, or I'm going to probably take a lot of your funerals. It's true. It's true. Face it. It's true. But one of the amazing things, have you been to a Christian funeral where there is such hope, even in the face of such sadness? And this is the sure hope that we both have in life and death, that with the resurrection of Jesus, death has been defeated, and now too we will rise again with him because we belong to him. And I'll probably say something like this. For now, this is farewell, but this is not the end. That's the gospel. That's the one we're not ashamed of because of the Holy Spirit given to us that empowers us and fills us with love and self-control. That's the gift that we call the fan in the flames. That the world may know that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. That we may too participate in the great story of God's grace and light coming to a dark world. And how do we do all this? Verse 14, we do it by guarding the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. Let's stand together. Fan it in the flames, church. Fan it in the flames. Passion for the gospel. That we too may not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. The revealing of grace. Immortality. That we'll be empowered to share this good news. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we pray right now that you fan into flames this gift that you've given to us. Pour your Holy Spirit into us, Lord. That we will not be ashamed of the gospel. So I want to take just a quick moment now. If you've never 
received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, this morning can be such a good morning to start. You've heard the gospel. You've heard it, but you've got to respond to it. You've got to receive his grace. Just with every eye closed, if that's you this morning, can I just encourage you, just put a hand on your heart as a way of receiving the Lord. Put your trust in him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We just receive Jesus in as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this gift that he has saved us and called us to a holy life. 